You're listening to Conversations with Cal, the official podcast of the Sydney Swans. That's right. You're listening to Conversations with Cal. I'm your host, Callum Sinclair. And thank you very much to QBE for sponsoring the podcast this year. It's an absolute fantastic partnership the football club's got. QBE Insurance, the longest sporting partnership in professional sport going around 34 years. So thank you guys once again. Today, I am absolutely wrapped to get this guy on the show. He's on the show. He's been a very involved member of the football club for some time now. He's a big supporter of the podcast, sending through many kind suggestions and messages along the way. Now, he's one of the more brainier pupils we have at the footy club. He studied a law degree. He majored in pure mathematics. He's all, his life took a very unusual turn when he found himself competing in a stand-up comedy con- competition in which he won. Uh, this led to a 14 year career in radio where he spent time on Triple J and the ABC. He has worked uh, in many television shows. He was on the science show Quantum. He also hosted the Poker Championships. I'm sure some of the boys will be very, very keen to, to pick his brains about that. Uh, performed on many sporting shows, the Backpage, ABC News and uh, their current affairs programs. A passionate sports lover, he is an ambassador for the Sydney Swans and in 2016, I believe it was, he was the uh, number one ticket holder and he has stuck by us thick and thin through the good times and the not so good times as well. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Adam Spencer to the podcast. How are you, Spence? Chief, it's great to be here. You did leave one thing off my Sydney Swans CV. Between myself and Adam Goods, between the two of us, we played 372 games, two Brownlows, two Premierships. And uh, over 400 goals. <laughs> I do want to touch on your uh, – you did grace the SCG at one point. Why don't we kick oh, off with this, I reckon. This is actually going to be a very, very interesting story. Tell us about the time you graced your uh, presence on the SCG. So the wonderful charity Red Kite that I'm deeply involved in and have been associated with the Sydney Sons for 20 years, they raise money for the families of kids on the cancer journey. And for quite a while there, we had a little bit of a celebrity game. We used to run out one week uh, of the year each for the Red Kite celebrity game. Me and fellow B and C list TV and radio celebrities kicking a footy around for Red Kite. And uh, I had my, my greatest highlight and my greatest low light on the SCG. Both came in Red Kite charity games. My greatest highlight one year, it was belting down rain. So we couldn't play the full game. They just got us to have a little kick for goal competition. You kick from 15... You kicked from 40. Anyone who was left kept getting dropped out, etc. <laughs> and three of us finished. They put us on this real tight banana check side sort of angle. It was That's your cup Scott. of tea. Oh, mate, it was myself, Scott Dooley, and Dr. Chris Brown from I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Now, Chris and Dools both try these incredible, you know, reverse banana corkies that don't work out. I don't know how to kick one of those, so I just try and kick it straight. Fingers crossed. It drifts out and tails back in. If you gave me 100 chances at it, I'd get two of them tops. And I did it in front of 30,000 people in the rain, fell to the knees, sign of the cross, players in over the top. And I could hear Chris Brown saying over the speakers because he was being interviewed, Spence is going to be unbearable after that. <laughs> but but the thing is, mate, these things, you know, there's the other side of the coin. Karma comes around a few years later. Again, it was raining, so we didn't play the game. We had another set shot competition. Only time for five people each to have a shot. So I valiantly didn't even take one for my side. I said, let someone else do it. Our team won. And so the host quickly said, Spence, why don't you have one quick shot at goal to finish? 
I don't even warn the studs. I just warn some bald runners out there just to, you know, supervise. Running to take my kick, slip A over T, falls so hard on the ground, the ball bounces off my shin, rolls about five metres at 90 degrees, and I'm lying there covered in mud in front of the goal looking like a complete goose <laughs> well mate you aren't you're not going to be the only bloke on a football field to look like a complete goose i for one i for one can uh can hold my hand up and say i've met a few blunders on the football field so that, that could actually be a good topic for discussion in regards to uh a few of the other boys that we get on but spence let's have a quick little chat mate your involvement at the football club you've been involved with the footy club for some time now I did mention that you have been the number one ticket holder, but you've been doing a great deal of MC work for the football club. Uh, your energy in all those events is absolutely outstanding. So let's have a quick chat about how you became involved in the footy club, even from when you were a little tucker, uh, to supporting the Sydney Swans. It's a bit of a journey because for a lot of people my generation who lived in Sydney, I grew up in the suburb of Gladesville, which is in the heart of Balmain Tiger Territory from the Yuck. old rugby league now half of the West's Tigers. And my dad was just the most passionate Balmain Tigers supporter. He used to say 1969 was the best year in his life because his first child was born, that's me, and the Tigers won the premiership. And then he'd pause for a second and say, and don't get me to rank those two things. He was he was that passionate about <laughs> So I grew up as a Balmain Rugby League boy. The first game of Aussie rules I ever saw um, they played a few demonstration games in Sydney in the late 70s. And I went to see Carlton play St Kilda, I think in about 1978. Had no idea what I was watching. I thought, I'll, I'll support the team in black that turned out to be navy blue. Carlton won that day. So to my eternal shame, for the first few years of my knowledge of AFL, I was probably a Carlton fan Rough. more than anything else. I know. So let's I get this, Let me just get this start. You started off as... A Balmain Tigers fan. Yep. So for me, I, I don't know what the hell that is. That's probably some weird sport, whatever it is, I understand. And then you've gone to Carlton. Yep. And, 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 and I'm, but I'm, I'm not, I'll go and watch the occasional game on TV. If I'm in Melbourne, I watched a couple of games. I was never passionate about it, but the Swans reached out with an ambassadors program in the early 2000s and asked people who had any, you know, prominence who wanted to get on board, would they? you know, lend their support to the club and their profile. And I hopped on board as a Swans ambassador and just fell in love. And I mean, I picked the easiest time to hop on the bandwagon. We're talking 2002, 2003, when the push starts towards the magic that's the 2005 grand final. But I remember one day seeing the Swans play Carlton in a maybe 03 at the SCG and Brendan Favola kicked a goal and I found myself out of my seat booing at him and I just realised... <laughs> The transition is complete. I've come across to the side of good and the side of light. I've been on board with the Swans ever since. Well, mate, you wouldn't be the only uh, the first player to, to boo Brendan Favola, but I will say, but I will say though, I'm a very, very big Fevolution fan. I know this is a Swans podcast, but I do love the uh, the great oh, Fev. Easily one yeah. of the most underrated. Uh, no, not underrated. He was extremely rated, but I, I, I think that his um, his off field antics got a lot more. Um, uh, a lot more notoriety than his actual on-field. His on-field stuff was uh, A-class. So I absolutely loved the way he went about it. But, mate, talk a little bit more about that ambassador role and how that started because I don't think many of the people that would have uh, put their hands up for the ambassador role back in 2000 would have actually um, stuck by us for 20 years. Yeah, the, Swan, the Swans have a you – know, 
the, the, the heart and blood followers of Swans, the regular members who just turn up to the SCG week in, week out, the South Melbourne fans who have been getting along for decades, are the lifeblood of the club. And I was so lucky to meet so many of them in my year as number one ticket holder. There's also a group of us who don't come from particularly top-end corporate background but have a bit of media profile uh, and known in the broader community who are crazy mad Swans fans. from Yeah, exactly. Lynn from um, from home and away, second longest-running performer in the history of Australian TV behind Alf from home and away. She's an ambassador. Sam Groth, holder, holder of the fastest serve in the history of men's tennis, absolutely loves his Swans. Nuffy. Uh, t- Tony Squires, John Mangos, and we're just we're there to do whatever we can to help the club. If that means going to events or talking about the club publicly or being seen around, it's just you know, as someone who at the age of fifty one has to accept his odds of being drafted by the club now are probably starting to recede. Anything I can do, anything I can do to help, I will. I'll stop you right there because I reckon you could be a chance, mate, because as we know, it's a bit of a sensitive topic at the moment. The AFL is going through a very, very tough uh, financial crisis. So if you're willing to play for free, mate, I think we could <laughs> I think we could get you on the list. Mate, I would pay to play. I would pay per game. Don't you worry. Mate, uh, careful what you ask for, mate, because then you walk out with an arthritic knee. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, let's talk about a few uh, best and fairest nights. Now, I reckon mm. you've how many how many of those have you done now? I've been lucky enough to host the Bob Skilton Medal for G more, more than ten years now. And and anyone who lives in Sydney or in Melbourne, if you want to travel, think about getting along. It is such an incredible night of celebration of the year, the club, the boys, and and the culture. And I'm very lucky to be up there on stage reading out some names through the course of the evening. Yes, now it is a night of celebration where we get around the players that have had exception uh, exceptional. Seasons, is that even a word? I don't know. We'll see how we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Terrific seasons. Uh, some guys that have done terrific service to the club. I think we induct uh, a few life members and, and things like that. But there's got to be some funny stories of a few blokes that have had a few too many drinks over the years. There, were, there was one event uh, where I think – it might not have been a best and fairest night, but Ramps – whenever Ramps uh, gets on stage, he tends to make a blunder of it, mate. And he is the football club captain as well. Yeah, the, the ramp is, as they say, a different type of cat. But my favourite moment in the history of Bob Skilt medals, I won't name the player because he's still actively involved in the AFL in some capacity, but um, very popular player at the club, coming off a fantastic season, but the sort of modest player who would never even think that he's going to feature in the count on the night. But as a bit of a senior player and a leader for the younger lads, he throws a barbecue that afternoon, from what I heard, for all the younger players in the group to just say, end of the season, first best and fairest night tonight. Have a great night, guys. Lovely playing with you for the year. He has a few drinks at that. He gets to the Bob Skilton, has a few more drinks, and he's feeling quite comfortable and relaxed in that sort of off-season way before he just starts polling the house down in the Bob Skilton. He's just dragging (laughs) folks everywhere we hit the two-thirds part of the night we do the final reveal of the count before the big push our man is currently coming second really close to first and knows that he finishes the season really well the panic starts setting in because he's thinking i i won't be able to give an acceptance speech i'm in no state to collect right and he starts getting nervous he comes over and finds me and says look spence you have to tell me do i win this if I do, is there anything you can do to change that? Can you fiddle the votes? 
can someone else win? He's the only person who's ever campaigned <laughs> against himself in the best and fairest. I've strung him along saying, mate, look, I can't, obviously I can't do anything, but if I was you, I'd, I'd give some thought, if, if you have to say a few words. I knew for a fact he ended up coming second. He went really close. Oh, you could have helped him out, Spence. He was terrified. I made him give a speech anyway about how he felt coming second, and uh, yeah, his, his, ability, his assessment of his ability to give a speech was pretty accurate. It was a fairly loose, rambling contribution, but it was just it was wonderful to see the fear on his eyes as they got to those final couple of rounds. Mate, one thing I'd love to uh, talk to you about is um, just some iconic moments over the over the football club's journey since you've been involved in 2000. So you've been a heavily involved member since uh, 2000, and it's now 2020. So you're a maths guy. So if I add up my maths, that's about 20 years. Uh, <laughs> There's been a few handful of moments. I would like to talk to you about 05, 2012. There's obviously some iconic moments, but I think I've spoken to you about this before. A real special uh, moment for you when you uh, spoke about this once was uh, the Adam Goods game when he came back from a real, um, a real tough time um, yeah. you know, with some um, racial behaviour that's happening in the community. What's your recollections uh, of that time? Yeah, that was an incredible time. I mean, the grand finals will live in the club's history forever. I remember when Lewis Jetta finally broke his run of 19 consecutive behinds and kicked his first ever goal. It was a roar not unlike the win of a grand final from a crowd who'd just been backing this kid for ages despite this horror run of misses at goal. But that time, the goodsy had put his hand up and said, I need, I need a break. This is all too much. And for a lot of people then, the reality of how intense that situation had been for Adam and how little he'd received support from his own code and how little the, the, how little known the public support and love for the guy was. It, it really struck home with a lot of people. So that was organised in the game that Adam took off. He wasn't there, but because he's number 37, in quarter three at the seven-minute mark, as you were all walking towards the ground, there were people holding up signs saying, at, at quarter three, minute seven, Let's all stand up and applaud for number 37. And they were giving away T-shirts on the night that said 37. And I remember when I saw that outside the ground, being a bit nervous, thinking, that's really hard to try and organise. This could be a little yeah. bit, oh, if this falls flat, if this doesn't quite, oh, no, I don't want to go, oh, gee, I hope. I hope. And, and the third quarter, and I'm a bit of a, as you said, a numbers nerd, so I'm watching the clock and I'm ready to go at you know, six minutes 30 into the third quarter. And it starts, and I, I stand, a few people stand, and we, and, and it just went wild. Mm. The, the applause, the intensity. I saw people crying. The hair was up on your neck. I've watched the TV coverage of it back before, and I think it's BT saying, if you're watching Adam, we're here, and you know, we, we, we love you and we want you back. And it was just one of those moments that just said everything – that's great about a football club, everything that was great about Adam Goods. And at a time when people just felt a bit sick and wondered what could we do for us all, just have a moment there where we could do something. I'll, I will never forget that moment. It was unbelievable. Yeah, because I, I do remember um, when I, was, I obviously got traded here in 2015, I remember playing for uh, West Coast um, during the season of 2015 and the Swans came over to play us. And I do remember that game being a real – it really highlighted the issue. And uh, at mm. the time, I, I actually felt really, really quite embarrassed because 
I just didn't really give it much thought. I just didn't really kind of, you know, I was too stuck in my own mind as a young 20-year-old just trying to get a game in AFL football. But I don't think it was until I actually moved, you know, to Sydney and I got a little bit of an understanding about, you know, the history of the football club and and, and what this guy had um, had been through. Uh, I think I wouldn't be unlike many other Australians that we just felt quite embarrassed. Yeah, it's really it's, – it's good of you to be honest enough to admit that, mate. It was – it was fascinating at the time and it wasn't – a lot of it – I mean, there were some people who had horrible attitudes towards Adam and there were some people who were a bit confused in what they thought. Or I, I think that their emotions were a bit misplaced. But there were a lot of people who were just – it didn't really hit home and, and, and they, they didn't really consider what it meant. And then there was certainly just a moment of awakening and that moment of that for example, at the SCG that night and when that got out and when Goodsey had the bravery to come out and say, this this feels racial to me and it's all too much, to put your hand up and go, this is hurting, is not an easy thing to do when you're in a tough guy, yeah. macho sport like AFL. And you watch both the documentaries that went around about it. At all times when he's asked to comment, he speaks with a grace and a dignity and a calmness that on reflection, it just speaks speaks buckets of the guys. But let me ask you, mate, more generally with AFL, you know, when, when an AFL player finds themselves in the spotlight for a contentious reason or the, the wrong reason or whatever, and often I find as the public, if it's from a rival club, you really want to jump in and you know, you, you'll find members of the fan base relishing someone else's suffering. I find fellow players tend to find a commonality and go, you see it through what it must be like to be a, a player in the public eye and have something trip up in your private life or something like that. And I often find there's a sort of, there's a camaraderie there that even even though it's not you and it's not your club and you're not your friend, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I think the the goodsy the goodsy situation, I reckon, in my eyes, brought a lot of a strong sense of community, particularly amongst the AFL players. Um, mm. That was probably the first time I really quite experienced it um, around, and especially especially around a massive issue in regards to racism. We've seen um, Eddie Betts, um, who has um, you know doesn't mind obviously coming out there and, and trying to educate people on on uh, the issue of racism in Australia. And I always think, like, how can you not love Eddie Betts? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, it yeah. is just in, regardless of whether what team you go for, you can't help but just love the way he goes about it, not only his football but also his personality as well. But I think that strength of community comes from – uh, the games as has been as harder as as hard as it's ever been, in my opinion. Um, the 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 twenty four seven exposure to the media that you get now with social media, players are more comfortable in putting themselves out there. But the issue is, Spence, is that the more you put yourselves out there, the more um, opportunity you're giving other people to. Um, you know, come down you pretty hard. And particularly in Australia, yeah. we have a thing called tall poppy syndrome. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, which, um, you know, I've noticed that, you know, if you – I'm probably uh, conscious of it as well. There's something's going well in your life. You know, the first thing you'd like to do is obviously share what's going really, really well, but you're obviously conscious of um, – you, oh, yeah. you, you're quite conscious of, of people kind of maybe bringing you down, and particularly when you are playing a professional sport and you are – um, in the public eye, as the, as we've spoken about previously, that it's it's hilarious, yeah. isn't it? Like with with American athletes, if an American sets a world record or wins something, they will come out and say, "Did you see me today? Yeah. Did you see how incredible?" And I won't say me; I'd call myself the Spence. Did you see the Spence today? 
Did you? you That's what you did when you did that banana from the uh, (laughs) from the boundary. That's what you did. And whereas in Australia, you could win Wimbledon, and if you went to the press conference afterwards and say, "Gee, I served pretty well today," people would go, "Get your hand off it, mate! Don't be a dick." You know, (laughs) you're meant to front up to winning Wimbledon and go, "Oh, look, I was just lucky today, and the other guy tried really hard, and I just want to say everyone's a winner." And it's a very but you talk about the social media age. One of my favourite stories from the Bob Skilton a few years ago, Bobby Skilton, we interviewed Bobby one night at the event, walking through his incredible career, triple Brownlow medalist. And Bob was explaining to me that the Brownlow back in his days was not exactly the way it is in 2020. You don't yes. see everyone walking the red carpet. You don't have people asking Bob Skilton's wife, who are you wearing and things like that. Bobby Skilton found out about one of his Brownlows. I can't remember which one. He was on the tram on the way home from TAFE. Someone had been someone had been listening to the radio and the news came on at 9 p.m. or whatever and looked across and said, Hey, are you are you, are you Bob Skilton? Yes, I am, mate. Congratulations, you've just won the Brownlow. But how can the league not know? See, I find that story just amazing. Surely the league has obviously counted the votes pre the event and they thought, oh, we probably should invite this guy. I know. I, I don't think they had. I think this is so far back they didn't have a ceremony. I think they just counted the votes on the night and then announced the winner. Yeah, right. who happened to be on a tram on the way home from Tate. Well, you know, I I find it quite interesting is that when they do um, go through the Brownlow telecast, you know, the the highlights of the games now tend to go to funny things that have happened that round, not actually highlight the amazing performances Mm. of the players, which I actually find, you know, I'm a – bit of a romantic when it comes to, to football. You know, I love the 90s and the way that the 90s footballers played their um, played the way they played. But I just found it quite, uh, at the moment, the Brownlow, they just go on kind of funny things that happen on the field or pre-game rather than actually commenting on the amazing performances that the players have done. Did you grab yourself that, that epic game at the SCG where I think you kicked five? Against five straight, yeah, yeah. Was that? A, did you get? You must have bagged the three points that day. I did, mate, and uh, yes. I've got the audio here if you want to hear the count. <laughs> uh, no, it was a good day that day. I uh, was playing ruck a fair bit that year, and then I'm suddenly spends some standing here talking about myself. <laughs> this is actually about you. So enough. Of, uh, have you? Ever, would you ever host the Brownlow? Oh, it's a, it's a challenging gig that one isn't it and it's the same with the uh you see the um the north melbourne grand final breakfast they yes. are they are tough gigs they are explain well there's it's so tightly scripted there's it, there's so tight the timing you don't have the option and we can do this at, at, at bob skilton night or you know at, at, at the guernsey launch you can just say something because it's popped into your head you can have a bit of fun it can blow out by 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. Those things have so much pressure on them and a significant portion of the room with the greatest of respect aren't really listening. You know, it's like it's, it's like what Dave Hughes does at the Logies each year where he manages to get a laugh out of that crowd is incredible because the vast bulk of people are just tucking into their food, not paying any attention, not listening to what's happening up the front there. It's a really, really tough gig. Well, I think it would suit you perfectly the um, the Brownlow Medal count because you are you are an absolute uh, maths 
whiz, but oh, let's have a quick I, chat about your stand-up comedy and when you did uh, do this. Did you have any um, – one thing I love to do, I love to go to the, the entertainment quarter in Sydney and go to the open mic nights. Yeah, yeah. One of my great things to do is I like to go there and watch the comedians bomb. Yep. Very harsh by me, but I find that very, very enjoyable. I like the awkwardness. Yeah, sure. I, I like the awkwardness and the cringe. I like my guts churning. Have you ever told a, uh, a joke, a story on a stout comedy night, and you've absolutely bombed? Oh, any comedian who says they haven't bombed or haven't missed the mark are, are just absolutely fibbing, or have had very short careers. I didn't do the stand-up comedy bit for all that long. I was lucky that I, I got a bit of a name. I, I, I went in the first ever Triple J Raw Comedy. They still do it these days for undiscovered comedians. It's done in conjunction with the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. The idea is it's people who've never performed on stage before, never done paid gigs, that sort of stuff. I went in the very first year of the competition. So the standard was absolutely abysmal. And so I won for all of New South Wales and, you know, it, it, and but I was lucky that I met the people from Triple J through that, and they said, why didn't you come and work at the radio station? So I quickly, pretty quickly parlayed out of actual doing stage stand-up into radio. But the toughest gigs when you're starting out, I mean, sometimes if your material doesn't work, but the toughest gigs are they're just nightmare rooms. They are just Monday nights at the Harold Park Hotel and you've got <laughs> four minutes. Talking, I did, we did one one night at the Harold Park Hotel on a Wednesday night when in the room next to a state of origin rugby league was being broadcast, there's 280 people in there watching the Blues take on the Maroons. There's 15 people watching me and these guys. And by definition, 15 people who would choose not to go and watch state of origin on a state of origin night. So I don't even know what they're looking for in terms of entertainment. And that was just trying to get a laugh out of a crowd when you can't be heard for the screaming of people in the room next door. They're, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, mate. Mate, oh, you know, we've had a few uh, funny guys come on the podcast and uh, particularly during uh, the bushfire stuff that was going on, obviously mm. trying to raise a bit of money for for the uh, for the community. And now with the COVID stuff, there's a lot of small businesses going out of um, going out of business at the moment, which is really, really sad. But what we're going to do is uh, Jackson Thurlow, we're trying to nominate someone at the footy club to do a open mic night. So we're going to try and raise uh, raise a fair bit of funds for one of our players to – we'll sit down with him, we'll put in a fair bit of work. We might, we might even get your expertise to put some material together for him and send him out there on an open mic night. But the only issue is at the moment we don't know, we don't know if we can do that because we can't be gathering in, in mm. crowds – Right now, but I think when all this is done, uh, I think Jackson Thurlow might be the one who's pretty keen to, to give it a crack. I heard his I heard his prank phone calls a couple of weeks ago, mate. He has a certain ability to stay stay focused when the pressure's on. I thought he stitched up uh, was it young Dylan Stevens quite well in particular. So yeah, he's he's certainly he's certainly got a bit of a look about him. Who else do you reckon could uh, could do the job? Who else in the club would be good in a sort of stand up comedy atmosphere? I would have I've seen. I've seen Papley and Will Hayward go at each other a little bit in those food Very funny, yep. and things like that. I can imagine Papley in particular because the other thing you need when you're, when you're doing that stuff, mate, I mean, you need the confidence and all that, but you do need the thick skin for when the joke doesn't work or when someone in the audience shouts something. And there's something about Papley that gives off a vibe to me that he's had a few things shouted at him in the past. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's, he's been he's been on the receiving end of a few sledges, and he's got a little bit of that sort of 
slightly angry, I'll take it and give it that five. So I think perhaps it'd go reasonably well in a five-minute spot. I tend to agree with you on that one. I reckon he – I think we might even put a case forward for Paps and Jacko. Uh, actually, oh. what we might even do, we might even get Paps, Jacko and someone else and make actually quite a big night of it. Get you there, MC, all the boys coming in and out. It could be um, – mate, it could be an absolute bomb. There might be not one laugh there whatsoever. But if we raise enough money, it will be for a fantastic cause. So um, keep uh, we'll keep that one in the pipeline and we'll, and we'll see what's going on. But, mate – I've done a little bit of research on you. Um, oh, yes, yeah. you are a massive AFL fan, um, but you are uh, you coached the University of Sydney women's soccer team for over ten years. Yeah, I absolutely did. I I was uh, I had a really long involvement with uni. Most people tap into uni, get their degree, and move out. I like to say my arts degree was the best nine and a half years of my life. I was really a uh, I really got into the uni vibe. Nine years of arts. <laughs> I did start oh, well. a PhD. I did start a PhD that I didn't finish strictly, so I, I wasn't entirely mucking around. But I had a had a wonderful time at uni, and I used to live on the campus. I was a maths tutor at one of the colleges there, and I was walking back one night, and I saw a mate of mine on the oval, and he was coaching a girls' soccer team. And I went down and helped out a bit, and then the next season, thought I'd put my hand up to coach. And it was just around the time of that movie, Bend It Like Beckham. And women's football just exploded. And I inherited this team of young women and we, we started together. We became great mates, ended up winning a couple of grand finals, started in Division 5, ended up in Division 1 about eight years later. It was just this wonderful journey. And as a coach, it was just something. And when you're coaching amateur sport, I mean, I know, I know you know, Horse and the team have to concentrate a lot. When you're coaching amateur sport, I mean, you're coaching them tactics, but you're also just bloody reminding them to bring their boots on the weekend and you're counselling people who've split up with their boyfriends during the week and it's just it's it's just so multifaceted. But I absolutely I loved it, mate. And there was something about the way women went about it and you're seeing it in the the AFLW as well. That there's there's something about the way women play and this was below elite level sport, but hard and competitive, but not not brutally nasty. Like a group yeah. of guys playing soccer, a group of guys playing soccer will walk off after the game and say, hey, boys, six yellow cards, no reds, well done, great stuff. In my 12 years of coaching those women, I saw maybe two deliberately nasty incidents on right. the football. They play hard and they'd want to win, but you wouldn't check someone with an elbow just because you knew the ref wasn't watching. Something about that that was really pure and really lovely. What you were saying in regards to reminding players to to take the take their boots and bring the right yeah. uniform, I'm going to tell you right now, mate. That is not that, 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 that nothing has changed. Even in professional sport, we still have to be reminded to uh, to bring our shin guards, our mouth guards, our boots. I've got plenty of stories of blokes that get to the, uh, the ground, <laughs> they open their bag up, and they're like, Where, "You know, where's the, my effing bloody boots?" and and then they ended up having to um, borrow someone else's. So I well, may yeah. have made that blunder a few times. I was going to say, are you, are you comfortable? No, if, if, if you were in the sheds, you've got your head down in your own bag, you're just pulling something out, and you hear a voice from across the room go, oh, my bloody boots. Whose voice is that most likely to be? Most likely to be would be second-year player Justin McInerney. I reckon he'd be one. Ben Ronk would be one. Uh, Benny Ronk would be one. Uh, who else would there be? Um, Dane Rampey maybe a little bit, even though he uh, – <laughs> 
But he's such a, a reckless player, not reckless player, but a ruthless player. He, uh, it wouldn't matter what he could run out there in sandals and get the job done. But, um, but yeah, I reckon Rams could be one of them. Um, a lot of boys leave leave their orthotics back in Sydney when we go travelling. So, and I also have. Uh, I, remember, I remember being at West Coast that the um, the property steward did forget to bring the wrong colour shorts one day. So there was, a nice. na- there was a nasty fine there waiting for the footy club when we got back. But, mate, mate on coaching and you've coached um, a women's soccer team, you must be absolutely excited. You, you have two young girls that are very, very keen on their footy. You must be excited for when um, one day, hopefully, the Swans are going to bring in an AFLW uh, team. Uh, your girls must be absolutely wrapped to get involved in that, hopefully. Yeah, my older girl, Ellie, who's 15 at the moment, is – and she's, she's handling the homeschooling and she's handling all that. So, so she is gutted yeah. that the Central Coast slash Newcastle women's under-17s AFL comp has been delayed a couple of months. She was raring to go, mate. She'd had a massive off-season, got a few Ks in the legs, actually put on a bit of bulk, doing a bit of weights and getting the shoulders, and she was ready. She's a sort of a small lockdown defender in the Nick Smith mould. Right. And she was really getting look, looking forward to just you know completely negatizing a couple of uh, small forwards from Cardiff and Maitland. We're on the Central Coast in New South Wales, so we play when they get to under seventeens, they combine the Central Coast with Newcastle, which gets up towards your sort of Isaac Heaney, Merriweather territory. So she was very much looking forward to uh, the season, and she just can't. She doesn't know what to do with herself with all this spare time. Spence, we're going to uh, finish up pretty soon, but what we're going to talk about is a little bit of our COVID-19 stuff. Uh, we like to get our guests to kind of sign off with a little bit of advice, a little bit of hope, a little bit of positivity for the community okay. out there. What are your final thoughts um, uh, for today's episode in uh, you know, just getting around the community, being extremely positive? And, uh, you know, it, we all say this, we're all in it together, which is 100% true, but what words of wisdom can we, uh, can we get from you? I'll, I'll give you two things. One, as as the maths nerd in me looks at this, and it is amazing to look at the numbers behind this sort of stuff, but the way this thing spreads is it's not like you get sick and then you pass it on to someone who you see just drop dead in front of you or anything like that. It's not one of these, you know, yes, m- movie scenarios. But if, you, if you're a bit reckless and you get this and you pass it on to a couple of people and they pass it on to a couple of people and they pass it on and on and on, Someone six or eight steps down that chain could get seriously ill or may even pass away. Mm. So every, every time you do the right thing, every time you make a strong call, you're stopping one of those chains potentially starting. And that's, that's what we're all doing at the moment. And the second point I'd say is that how many times in your life have you thought, God, if I only had, God, if I had a bit more spare time, I could finally learn to play the piano. I could finally read that book I'd promised to read. I could finally do that art class online, I promise. Well, we've suddenly all been gifted that. Mm. And I'm not pretending it's not awkward and boring and things like that, but I've got a couple of little projects I'm running here that I had promised myself if I ever got enough time and I thought I never would. And now I'm throwing myself into that sort of stuff. So if you find that positive and just engage yourself in some way and come out of this six months from now being able to play some basic chords on the guitar, or whatever it is that you've challenged yourself to learn to do. I actually 100% agree. And our coaching staff have actually spoken to the, uh, to us playing group about, you know, yes, we do need to stay fit and um, get as much training in as we can for the, you know, we all want to get back and play football at, um, as soon as we can. There's no doubt. But on the other side of your life, 
you know, you want to come out of this, you know, two, three, four, six month period, whatever it is, better on the other side than what you did, what you did when you went into it. And I think your point around, you know, whether it is learning an instrument, doing an online course, could be something as simple, uh, simple as just reading a handful of books. I think it's really, really good advice because um, I, I, for one, have seen our playing group, you know, get involved in. Other things that you know you, you you probably couldn't have done to be honest if you um if if um if we weren't in this situation. So yep. I know a few guys have enrolled in three or four extra subjects at university. Some guys are doing some online courses. Um, some are trying to have a crack at starting a business during this time. So mm. it's a really really good message, Spence. So thanks very much for that, mate. And I, I know for a fact, mate, that as we speak, sitting in his house now, Tom Papley is just watching back all the greats of stand-up comedy: Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. Richard Pryor, Sarah Silverman, polishing up what I know, perhaps, and I know you're listening, is going to be one of the <laughs> great five minutes of stand-up comedy we will ever be lucky enough to hear Tom Papley just going off at the Sydney Swans Open mic night. I actually just came up with an idea. We, we just did a, a podcast with the Black Dog Institute, which is a really good charity foundation. That's a lot for mental health and work with people with depression. So we could organise something to, to get all the proceeds of all the boys putting their hands up to do a stand-up routine, generate a bit of positivity, a few laughs, you know, just have a real you know, casual, relaxing night. All that money can go towards a terrific organisation like that. Because it is one of those people are so nervous about watching people. Jerry Seinfeld used to have a great joke. He used to say that, People's number one fear in life is public speaking, public performing, even more than the fear of death. Mm. So as Seinfeld used to say, at a typical funeral, most people would rather be in the coffin than standing up there giving the eulogy, right? Mm. If, people are, if, people are, if, if people accept that, so scary, yeah, let's sponsor a swan. Oh, mate, I'll hop on board. I'll, 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 I'll throw 100 bucks at charity if Paps gets up and does five minutes. Let's all sponsor our favourite players to get up, crack a few gags, money going to a good cause. I like the way you think, Sinks. No worries. Spence, once again, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, mate. You're an absolute rock star. Um, fingers crossed that we all get out of this um, sooner rather than later because I'm sure we're all doing our heads in a little bit. But like you said, mate, we should all be adopting, um, getting stuff done that we wouldn't usually get done. And a couple of quick things, mate, just in wrapping it up. And, and don't don't you go and mess me around by cutting this out of the podcast being modest. First of all, <laughs> well done you on this podcast, mate. It's coming on in leaps and bounds. It's fantastic. And, and you taking the time to do this is just something that the fans of the club can touch in with and feel a connection to the club. It's really important. And secondly, thank you for the work you've given to the club in the years you've been here, mate, because you talk about toughing it out during adversity, but you were there one season in particular – where you were pretty much the only player on the team who was above about five foot seven. You were doing all the rucking duties. Ruckmen were falling around you like flies. And, mate, you were massive that year. And, and we would not have had the season we had that year if it hadn't been for you. So you keep on keeping on too, mate. I can't wait to see you guys and all the boys back on the track soon. Thank you very much, Spence, for those kind words. Greatly appreciate it. And don't worry, mate, I'll be leaving that in the edit 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Convocation Conversations with Cal, proudly brought to you by QBE Insurance. Thank you guys for coming on board once again.